Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. There we go. Uh, dude, I don't know about this. It'll be fine. Just saying. Uh, you know what you're doing? Yes, it's gonna be fine. Just saying. Hun? Faucet broke. I got this. What? See, I told you it'd be fine. Just saying. Oh, babe, come on. Sorry. Hey, Dad, can I have some candy? Yeah, I don't care. Yeah. But it's nine o'clock. It's bedtime. It'll be fine. You ready to go? Yeah, let's do this. Do you need some lighter fluid or anything? No, man, I got this. That's how it all begins, just like that every time. Hey, welcome to ACF Church. If you're new here, we are glad that you're spending Sunday morning with us. And here's what I love about those guys. That is just them. That is real life. You know Chris and Bethany. Uh, there was no acting involved in that video at all. That's just who they are. So anyway, I love those guys. But hey, we are in a series called Just Saying, and we want to invite you just to welcome everybody who's with us online as well. Can we thank them for being with us today? If you didn't know, we are streaming on Facebook Live, and so if you want, real quick, pull out your phone and just share this message on Facebook real quick with your friends. It's just a, a real simple way to invite people to be part of ACF who maybe can't be here on a Sunday morning, or you know maybe you're uncomfortable just showing up to church. Uh, it could be a first step for somebody to uh, begin to engage with faith in God. So a uh, great resource that we're trying to use to uh, expand the kingdom. And so, um, man, just exciting times. This, this series that we're in, uh, just saying, is really a challenging series. We're walking through the book of First John, and uh, the, the purpose of this, this book is really, in many ways, to stir us up and, and, and to challenge a, maybe a false security that we might have in our salvation based on religious works or church attendance or you know the number of scriptures we have memorized or good deeds that we do. And it acknowledges that there's a tendency to feel like we're secure when maybe we don't have true faith. And so this has been a, a challenging text so far. I hope that you've had a chance to read through this book. Um, in fact, if you're not typically a Bible reader, I would encourage you maybe every week as we go through this series, just make a plan to read a chapter a day. Uh, it's a really easy read. It's really quick and it's really challenging. So it's just a great way to be all on the same page together, be studying the same text together. So uh, it, it's been difficult, I think, to deal with this. I, even in my own heart as I'm studying this text to ask the difficult questions of my salvation. Do I 
I love God? Do I really love him? And and honestly, for for us as a church, this is probably a challenging, maybe one of the most challenging texts because it's forcing us to deal with maybe some hypocrisy in our lives or in some ways that we've said, no, God, I love you, but there's things in, in the background that we haven't really dealt with yet. And it's really going to critique our lives. Really what John is doing is he's kind of dismantling our faith so that all that's revealed is what's actually there. And, and this is hard for us. We don't love to be critiqued. Um, one of the things that I hate is, is feedback and critique. It's always been difficult for me. Um, I, so I started watching all my sermons online, not because I love myself, uh, but because I like to see how I talk about the scriptures and try to get better at this. I feel like um, this is a really important moment that we have together to share God's word and to, to try to do it in a way that makes sense. And so I watch all of my sermons and I hate every one of them. I just hate them. I don't know if you've ever listened to yourself, a recording of yourself, or watched yourself on, like on, on a re- recording or a video, but I hate it. I hate every second of it, but here's what I know. I know that I'm only going to get better at what I do if I'm willing to look honestly at, at how I'm doing it right now, if I'm going to be honest with myself. We're only going to grow as far as we are honest, is what I'm saying. And so as we said a couple weeks ago, the goal of these Sunday morning gatherings, if you're brand new to church or to ACF church, is just to be honest together. Like, I, I really hope that, that maybe this is a breath of fresh air, that when you think of going to church on a Sunday morning, that you're thinking, man, it's so refreshing to be around a community that's just honest. There's so much pretense in the world. There's so much fake in it. There's so many jo- people jockeying for position and trying to get ahead that, that this should be a space where we just get honest with ourselves, honest with other people, and that is really hard. That is really difficult. And this is really what John's doing. We, at this point in John's life, he's an old man. Uh, we've called him like Grandpa John at this point. And Grandpa John has lost his filter, and he just sort of says it like it, like it is. Maybe you've got like a grandma that at Thanksgiving dinner, she just, you never know what grandma's going to say at Thanksgiving dinner. This is like John. John is just saying it like it is. He's giving us the hard truth that we need to hear so that we can grow. But I want to start off with this. When we respond to feedback with pushback, we resist the best version of ourselves. When you respond to feedback with pushback, when you're here, if you're here and you naturally start defending or looking for loopholes in, in what John is saying, what you're doing is resisting the best version of yourself. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. And so what about you? Do you take a joy in deeper understanding? Are you willing to look the hard things of the faith in the eye and deal with them honestly? And if you are, you're ready to grow. You're ready to be on a journey with, with God. And so if you want to grab a Bible, open up to 1 John chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, that's fine. You can maybe download the ACF Church app or maybe grab the, the Bible in the seat pocket in front of you there. I'd love for you guys just to pull something out and follow along with this text so you know I'm not just making stuff up and putting it on the screen here. So um, this text is going to deal with what we love. It's really going to deal with the affections of our heart. And so as we're walking through this, I want you to be, uh, if you would, take sort of an audit of your life and ask yourself, what is it that I love? What is it that consumes my thoughts and consumes the affections of my heart? What is that? So 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. He says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. 
I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So John is starting off dealing with all these, these different groups of people, and I love his, his heart. It really is the heart of a pastor. Uh, he, he's saying, listen, there are so much better things coming for you. There is so much that God has called you in. You've been forgiven. You've been loved by God. There's so much that God wants to draw you into. You just hear his heart for, for this crowd of people to, to grow in their faith. And that's really what John's dealing with when he says young men and old men, and he's, he's really speaking about different stages of the faith. And I would say like in this room here today, there are men and women who are very young in their faith. Uh, maybe you haven't even stepped into faith in God and you're just kind of checking out church for the first time. Or maybe you are somebody who got baptized a few weeks ago. And so you are in the first stages of your faith and it's a really young faith. Some of you have been in the church for a lot of years and, and you've taken some steps towards following God and engaging your heart with things that he loves. And so you're kind of growing in your faith, maybe in that sort of adolescent age group of your faith. And then some of you are mature believers. I mean, you have been in, in a relationship with God long enough that you just love him and your affections are for him and for his people and for the church. So when you come to church, you just think like, how can I help? How, how can I make this better? How can I help people to grow in Christ? You show up wanting to give of yourself instead of just receive for yourself. And so this is the journey that all of us are on. Uh, the first stage of faith is really focused on experiencing grace. And maybe you're here today because you just need some grace in your life. I don't know if you've seen the shirts in the lobby. Uh, one of our, 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 our taglines and I would say like our, our vision and mission as a church is to amplify the grace of Jesus to the churched and the unchurched and the dechurched. And so we talk a lot about grace and maybe you're here because you're like, I need that. I could use some more grace in my life. So that's why I came today because I'm just, I'm needing to, to, to figure this out. Who am I before God? And that's a season where you're just trying to learn what it means to receive grace for the first time. But I hope that you don't stay there. I hope that you start with that and you never stop receiving grace, but that actually launches you into the next season. You go from experiencing grace to focusing on more like enduring the hardships of life, enduring the struggle of our salvation and, and working out what it means to, to love God and receive from God, but also live out our faith in real life. And so for, you start off by, by just receiving and experiencing, then you go to enduring, and then I would say a mature believer is focused on enjoying God. Just enjoying God. And that it really is a mark, and I would say the major mark of a mature believer here, if, if that's you here today, if you're like, oh yeah, I was the mature one. I knew it from the beginning. If that's you, then your life is marked by a deep enjoyment of God. Enjoyment? Is that a, is that a word? Enjoying of God? I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. You enjoy God a lot. So, because you have grown to the point where you've seen how faithful God is. You've seen that he's good and he's gracious and that he, he holds you close when, you're, when, when, when times are hard and you've worked through enough that you just enjoy God in a deep, deep way. But I wonder for you today if you'd say you've been stuck. I wonder how many people have been in the church for their whole lives and, and they haven't really progressed on in their faith. Maybe you're in that infancy stage still and you've been uh, calling yourself a Christian for a lot of years. But in many ways, when you show up to a, a church or you think about your faith, it's all about receiving. 
You haven't journeyed in to, to the just kind of working out your faith and giving to others and, and, and honoring God. And maybe you're in that adolescent stage and, and, and life's just sort of the battle. And you're just learning what it means to, to, to continue to love God through difficult experiences. And maybe you, you haven't seen him come through enough at this point to be secure in his love for you or secure in your love for him. And this adolescent stage, is, it's interesting because even culturally, we talk a lot about this. Um, this is a bit of a divisive topic in our culture. Is something we call extended adolescence. Have you heard of this? Today, this is interesting, today people have extended the adolescent stage in society into the early 30s. So you can be like 32 and be like, I don't have to be an adult. I just, you know, play Xbox all night long and live in my parents' basement and eat their Doritos, right? Like I can just wait until I'm in my mid-40s to call myself an adult, to actually grow up into maturity. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that stage of life, but, but here's the problem, that should never be the destination, there's nothing wrong with receiving from our parents and, and growing in that season of tension, but that should never be where we stop. In fact, I ran across this article in the New York Times. It says this, according to a large-scale national study conducted since the late 1970s, it has taken longer for each successive generation to finish school, establish financial independence, marry, and have children. Today's 25-year-olds, compared with their parents' generation at the same age, are twice as likely to still be students, only half is likely to be married and 50% more likely to be receiving financial assistance from their parents. That the parents say, no, not doing it, right? It's interesting. This is an article in Christianity Today. It says this, adolescence is a gift that older generations have been giving to younger generations for a couple thousand years. But it isn't a concept that's necessarily existed in all times and places. Childhood is a state of dependence and a time of innocence, and our kids need to be shepherded and protected during that time. For, for maybe that, that's you, you're a, a young believer, and we, we want to pour into you, encourage you, and help you grow. He says, in adolescence, as a time of intentionally transitioning between childhood and adulthood, is a good and special thing. It's a kind of protected greenhouse phase where our kids have hit puberty and are on their way to full biological adulthood but without the expectation of being fully formed adults in a moral, educational, and economic sense. But here's the key. Adolescence should be term limited. If it becomes a destination, it becomes a trap. And I would say so many people have been in the church for a lot of years and they're still living as adolescents in the faith. They haven't journeyed into an enjoyment of God and making their life focus about how do I honor him and worship him and glorify him and seeing how that is really the focus of this entire life, right? I mean, you know, if you've read the scriptures, you know who the main character is. It's not you, right? It's not me, it's God. God is the main character. He's the, he's the main character of the story, this narrative that we live in. God is always the focus. And, and, and somebody who's matured in their faith has realized that. And they've aligned their loves of their life to honoring and glorifying God. And that, that, that's really what maturity is. It's really what it is. In fact, you can write this down. Your maturity is measured by what you love. Your maturity is measured by what you love. John goes on to say in verse 15, do not love the world, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. 
And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So interesting, he talks about loving the world. And we as Christians, we live in this weird tension because we are citizens of the world and yet we're also, um, we're sort of sojourners through the world, right? We're on this journey through the world to, to somewhere that's coming, to the kingdom that's coming, and yet at the same time, we live here and now. And God has given us this amazing place to live in and these amazing people to live around. And so we have this kind of shared tension as citizens of heaven, citizens of God's family, and also living here as citizens in this world today. So what do we do? What do we love? Now, I think we need to define the world here in this text because it's getting maybe a little confusing because if you've been in the church for any amount of time or maybe watched a football game once in a while, you know about this one verse, John three sixteen, right? Uh, for God so loved the world, right? And then John says, don't love the world. <laughs> like, what's going on, John? It seems like he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth. Uh, first, here's what we know about the world from Genesis 1. We know that when God created the world, it was good. and It was beautiful. And yet at the same time, we know that sin entered the world through man. And since then, things have never been the same. Since then, the world has been a distorted reality, a distorted version of the the beautiful thing that God created. And so as you hear the word world in the scriptures, it's gonna refer to a couple different things. The the Greek word is, uh, it's the same as cosmos. It's the word cosmon. And it's it's where we get this, this word world from. But it can mean a couple of different things. The first thing that it means is the sinfulness, destruction, and loss that we all should hate. So when he's talking about don't love the world, he says don't love the sinfulness, the destruction, and the loss that we all should hate. Don't love those things. And I think that's a really important distinction that we should look out in the world and even if you're not a Christian here, there are things about the world that I think you would say are just plain wrong. That we can look around and we can watch the news and we can see what's going on even in in our great state of Alaska and go like, there are things that are not right about this world that we actually shouldn't just be okay with. There are things that we should actually hate about the world. And that's an interesting thing because I would say that God, when God looks at the world, he has sort of a love-hate relationship with it. He, he obviously, he loved the world, so he sent his son to repair and restore this relationship that he has with people, and at the same time, God desperately hates the things that we're doing to destroy ourselves. He desperately hates what it is that is distorted about this beautiful creation that he's given us. And as his people, we should share in his affections and also, in many ways, it sounds strange, but share in his hatred. And in fact, I would say as Christians, there are some things in this world that we should hate a little bit more. There's some atrocities going on around us that should fire us up a little bit more and that should create a a sense of hatred for those things in the world. But I would say that the world also means the people whom we should love. So God so loved the world, speaking of the people who he loves, just as we should love people in the world. So how do you you determine what it is in the world that you should love? Obviously, like, God loved people, we should love people. There's also all this other stuff in the world that's just day-to-day life, right? That we're always trying to figure out what is it that we should receive from the world? What should we redeem in the world? What should we reject in the world? 
If you're a parent, you're always, you have this tension, right? What are the things that my child should listen to on the radio? What are the TV shows they should watch, right? What movies should we go to? What things should we do that are culturally acceptable but maybe aren't things that in the end uh, end up leading to more life and love for us and for the people around us? Like what should we love, what should we not love? And I just remember as a kid uh, never really agreeing with my parents on, on how this all worked out, right? Because you always feel like your parents are really strict, right? You're like, man, I don't know, just they need to lighten up a little bit. My parents um, always try to do their best with this figuring out what should my child receive and what should he not. And um, I grew up in a Christian home, and I know their effort to honor God was, was this constant tension of what should we allow into our lives and what shouldn't we. And so I remember just trying to figure out what shows I liked, and my favorite show growing up was The A-Team. Any A-Team fans in the room? Love it. The rest of you are too young to remember The A-Team. Just Google it. It's fine. Google A-Team later on. But that was like my favorite show, and, and I remember I was like seven years old. We were living in upstate New York. We're getting ready for the school year, and my mom, who's probably watching, hi, mom, um, took us out shopping to go get some, some, some clothes for school and also a lunchbox. And I chose the A-Team lunchbox. In fact, here it is. There's the one. I don't know if you had this lunchbox, but I loved this thing. I mean, this is going to make me so cool in front of my friends. So, so excited. Now, my dad and I would watch A-Team, but my mom wasn't super hot on the show. Why? Because Hannibal smoked cigars, right? Hannibal was a smoker. And she's like, I don't know. I don't know if I want my son seeing this or being around this. And so I get up for school on the first day of the year and I pull out the lunchbox and my mom has taken a fork and she has scratched the cigar out of Hannibal's mouth. I still don't, I don't think I forgive you, mom, for that one. I don't know. I mean, that was difficult, right? She's trying to protect me from the world. She defaced my lunchbox to do it though. So, but you're trying to figure out like what, what things, and to this day, I'm, you know, don't smoke cigars, prefer a pipe. So anyway, love you, mom, just kidding. Just kidding, just kidding. Um, you know, you're trying as a parent to figure out how do I protect my kids? How do I watch out for them? And, and hopefully you do the same thing for your own heart. Hopefully you're, you're looking at what's coming in at you and you're going, well, should I receive that? Should I reject that? Like, what do we do with these things? And here's the, here's the challenging thing if you're a Christian, is if you get this wrong, it's so damaging. Like, if you choose to receive things that you should reject, it's so damaging in your life. And it erodes away at, at what should be our focus in, in our love for God and our love for people. And at the same time, the church in many ways has been guilty of rejecting things that God wants us to redeem. Do you know that? Like, it is so damaging when we just blanket reject things that God, God wants us to redeem. Like, I believe that Christians should throw the best parties and that we should have the most fun, and we should have the best relationships, and, 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 and things that God created. God created sex. He gave us music. He gave us the art and all these beautiful things that we should learn to enjoy God's way. And when we do, we don't give the enemy credit for something that is actually God's. And I think that's important as the church because the world's looking in at us, and they're wondering, you know, what does it mean to, to actually follow God. Who is this God that Christians follow? And, and I'm afraid the story we've told them is, well, it's not a whole lot of fun, and you don't really get to enjoy yourself very much. And, 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 and at the same time, we look at what God created, the world. He created us, and it was so good. And we're on this journey to show people a better way of living. 
Because I honestly believe honoring God with your life in every way, rejecting the things that God would reject, hating the things that God hates and loving the things that God loves, that's a life people would want. That's a life that our community would lean into. And so we want to tell a better story. We want to learn to love what God loves and choose those things. It's interesting, Jesus... um, He had a lot of accusations come against him because of the people he hung around and the things that he did. Walking with his disciples, picking grain on the Sabbath. You know, he's hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors. He's always in the wrong place with the wrong crowd. And from maybe religious standards, even some of us in here, we would have told Jesus, well, Jesus, you're you're of the world, right? You're receiving too much of the world. And at the same time, Jesus knew how to balance these things. He knew how to love people but he also knew how to protect his own heart. And, and, and you can write this down. Jesus loved people and hated sin because of what it did to them. The hatred we see by God towards sin is always for our betterment. It's always because he loves us and he hates what it does to us. As a loving father, he always knows what's best for us. And you know, I, I don't know if you've ever had something that you hate in the world that's destroying people. Um, I don't know if maybe you have a family member that's dealing with some kind of addiction. I know Alaska's got this huge opioid crisis. And so we've got all these people that are addicted to heroin and meth. And, and if you don't have a family that's dealt with this or close friends who have been around that world, then you might be kind of like, yeah, I don't know. We should do something about that. But eh, not a big deal, right? But then some of you in this room, you have children who you don't know what to do with because they're stuck in this addiction. You have parents who are dealing with this addiction. And so for you, you have a hatred for this. Like you have a a passionate hatred for these things that are destroying the people you love. And I just want you to know where maybe you thought God was just coming up with arbitrary laws because he just wants to take away our fun. That's a loving father trying to remove things that will destroy us from our lives. I just know that. That is always God's motivation. So Jesus, in every scenario, in every situation, he had this way of loving people and hating sin because he can see where it's going and he can see the destruction that's in their lives. So for us, though, we will tend to be tempted to hate people and accommodate sin. We'll be tempted to to, to have this disdain for the humans that sin and just a hatred for them, and yet accommodate sin in our own lives. Just become comfortable with it. Sort of cohabitate with our sin. Allow it into our lives. And and I just want you for a second to think like, okay, if you you would say you're a believer, John is asking you to take an audit of your life and to go, do you love the world? Are you a citizen of heaven or are you more of really a citizen of the world? When, when Jesus talks about this, he says, he says no man can have two masters. You always either you know, love one and then you'll hate the other. That's how it works. And it's interesting, when Jesus preaches that message, the crowd gets a little bit smaller because then he talks about money. He says, man cannot love both God and money. And then the crowd goes away, Right? And so this is really where John is going the same way. He's affirming the same words of Jesus. You cannot actually love God and love the world. And there's a tension because I think, can we be honest in the room? Most of us think we can do both. Most of us think that we can have this shared love for God and for the world. Like, I think we think in terms of like, like our investments, if you have investments, that you gotta diversify your investments, right? You don't wanna put every egg in one basket. That's dangerous, 
So you just love a lot, you invest in a lot of things. And I think we do the same thing with our lives. We try to invest in a lot of different things. You know, I got a little bit of Jesus on Sunday, a little bit of my job on Monday, a little bit of the Kenai on Wednesday, you know, a little bit of my bank account on Friday. Like we have all of these shared loves. Jesus says that's actually impossible. Your heart is only able to love one thing at a time. Now, you can have a lot of different passions and things that you're into, but in the end, your love and your affections will be given to one thing and one thing only at a time. It's either gonna be Jesus or it's gonna be the world. And so where are you at with that? What is it that you love? This is a fight and this is a battle and your life is on the line for this. Romans 8 12 says, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. John's making some pretty harsh statements. Paul makes some pretty hard statements that you just can't love both things. And this is a battle for life and death. And what maybe you or I have allowed to sort of live in our lives the things that we've sort of learned to deal with are actually things that are trying to steal our soul from God. I mean, think of, like, what is it that, I mean, if we put your Netflix queue up on the screen, would anybody be a little concerned that people might think that you love the world? If we were to put your internet browser history up on the screen, would people start to think, like, I don't know, maybe you love the world? If we put this month's bank statement up on the screen, would people kind of wonder, like, I don't know, does this person love God or love the world? And again, you're like, maybe you're defensive and maybe you're resisting this and you're, only, you're accountable to God first, right? But just be honest and go, does my life reflect a love for God or a love for the world? John continues on. If you're not offended yet, we'll keep going. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So can you just let that soak in for a minute? If you love the world... The love of the Father is not reduced in him. It's not like, ah, rob from one, give a little to the other. No, it's loving the world means the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. He uses the word desires, and it's really better translated to the word lust, which, again, we think of lust, we think of sex. He's actually thinking about this deep internal craving that propels your life. He's, he's wanting us to go, what is it that you crave? What is it that consumes your thoughts and your energy and your resources? He says those things, if directed towards things of the world, means that you don't have the love of the Father inside of you. They're not from God, but from the world. So how do we know if we love the world? You can write this down. When we are willing to sacrifice what is right for what is right in front of us, we have fallen in love with the world. When we are willing to sacrifice what is right for what is right in front of us, we have fallen in love with the world. Really, I mean, that's how you can really determine what you love. Like, what are you willing to sacrifice for? What are you willing to give up your energy for? I was trying to think of scenarios like in my life where I've had this tension. Uh, I remember a while back going to a movie and um, you know, you, first you pay 12 bucks for the ticket. Why is it so expensive? And then you pay 15 bucks for you know, a little bit of popcorn. 
Um, so you, you got like 30 bucks into this thing by the time you're said and done with the soda and popcorn and, and, and the movie ticket. And I sat down and about five minutes in, I was just like embarrassed because I hadn't read the IMDB before. And uh, it was just like, it was just really uncomfortable. Um, the situation that was on the screen. And so like, I'm looking around and I'm seeing people like from church and I'm trying to figure out like, what do I do in this? And I, what came through my mind is I just spent 30 bucks on this thing. Like, I'm not standing up. I mean, that, that'd be just, that'd be stupid, right? How dumb would it be to waste 30 bucks when you, you know, you're here for the movie. I'm sure it'll be over in a minute. And to some of you, like the idea of walking out of a movie is just insane, like, like that, is, that is insanity. Why would anybody ever do that? But I just got to ask you, like, what is your soul worth? Like, because I, I don't know if you're like me, but images get in my head, and I think about them all the time. Like, it's seared in my brain. Like, I'm preaching on Sunday morning, and there's stuff that I've seen in movies in my mind sometimes. And it's just, it stays with me, and it affects my real life. Like, it's a stupid movie, and it affects my real life. And so it's, it's strange to me that I say, I love God, and I'm going to stand here in church and raise my hands and worship him, and oh, I love you, Jesus, and then I'm not willing to step out of a movie so that I can align my affections with the one that I say I've given my life to. Isn't that weird? It seems kind of weird, right? I mean, how about, like, what is it that keeps you up at night? What do you give your thoughts to? What do you obsess about? I mean, I think everybody has probably an obsession right now. And is that about the kingdom? Is that about the Father? And again, I don't want you to hear in any way like, well, if I just do better and don't watch you know, R-rated movies, then I'm a Christian, because that's not the case. What John is saying is if the love of the Father is in you, you will love what the Father loves. So what do you love? What are you willing to give up rest for? What are you willing to give up your finances for? What are you willing to give up your your rapport at work for? To risk relationships for? What are you willing to give something up for? Verse 17 closes with this. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world's passing away. He's making this point that those who invest in a temporary world will forego the eternal life that God wants to give them. You're gonna forego those things. So John is like, this is a warning to us. He's like, do you know that this is passing away? Do you know that all that you investment apart from the, the kingdom of God is going away? Like, I, I was just thinking like, nobody here is thinking, okay, so I've got some money to invest. Do you know where I'm going? Blockbuster. I'm going to invest in Blockbuster right now, right? That's a great, and was there like two left in the nation or something like that? Which I loved Blockbuster, don't get me wrong. But anyway, like I wouldn't put my, my retirement on there, right? I mean, you just wouldn't because it's going bankrupt. And so, uh, or, or probably already is, but that's what John is saying. Is he's like, hey, do you know that the world's going bankrupt? Like it's going out of business, And here you are, pouring your heart and your soul and your resources and your energy and your time and your thoughts into something that's going away. John says, hey, do you want an investment that will never go away? The kingdom. The kingdom of God will never go away. The lives of the people around you, that's an eternal investment. So what is it that you pour your heart into? 
You can write this last thing down. God's people are always willing to pass on what's passing away to possess what is not. Now that's a good investment. To give up what's going away to get something that is not. To be part of this kingdom movement that's happening in the world. So I want to ask you just to start off, are you growing? Maybe square one is, are you even in the family? I mean, maybe just if you're, maybe you're honest here today in your own heart that there's a conviction that you've been in the church for a long time, but you're either an infant of the faith but, or you don't even love God on, at all. You've chosen to try to put him on a pedestal with all of your own stuff. And God says, I will not share the place of your heart. I will not share the authority in your life with anything else. Or how about you? Have you, have you stayed an infant in the faith and, or, or an adolescent in the faith? You're not moving forward. I mean, if you're honest, when I said earlier about reading your Bible, you're like, haven't done that in years, honestly. It's not consistently part, part of my life. In fact, Brian, the only time I read the Bible is here with you. You read it for me. I mean, if you want to be somebody who's actually investing in an eternal kingdom, you have to know what God says. You have to read his word. You have to be in prayer and start your day off by listening to what he has to say to you. I mean, maybe, maybe this whole what you love thing has to do with your maturity. Like, like what is it? Maybe the fact is that, that we love the things that are actually limiting us. Have you started loving something that's limiting your growth, limiting your ability to move forward in your faith? See, people who love God are willing to pass on things that are passing away to possess eternal things, things that cannot be taken away from us. So can we close our eyes for just a second? Father, in the quietness of our heart, we, uh, we need you to help us to be honest. We want to confess that our first impulse is typically to look past our imperfections and to look past our own sins and to miss the ways that we've chosen to be immature and chosen to love the things that are not of you. God, I, I, I pray by your grace that we could see those things right now. That you'd reveal those things to us. And God, I, I know that for many of us, we even lack the motivation to take a step forward. Even that's not within us. So God, we depend on you to change our hearts. We depend on you, God, right now. It's our prayer and our desire that you would make the things of the world resistible to us and the things of the kingdom would be irresistible to us. That you would change our tastes and our passions and our thoughts and our obsessions to align with things that are not passing away. God, would you make a, a greater vision for our lives than the American dream or the next job promotion or having the perfect family. God, I pray that you would give us a greater dream that's centered around the person of Jesus. God, would you give us a bigger vision for eternity? God, we confess that uh, there are things going on around us every single day that don't break our hearts, and they should. 
should break our hearts. That we should hate the things that destroy the people around us. And we don't. So God, I pray that you would develop within us a hatred for those things in the world, for the sin, the death, and the destruction that we see around us. The kind of hatred that results in a change of life, the kind of hatred that we can't help but go do something about. And God, forgive us for loving our sin and hating people when we should hate our sin and love people. I pray we could follow in the footsteps of Christ and be around people who are different than us maybe believe different than we do and see things differently than we do and love them like you chose to love us. God, we are so different than you. Our affections are so different than you, God, our passions. And yet, God, you stoop down and you make yourself nothing and you take on the form of a servant. You wash our feet. So God, I pray we could wash the feet of this broken world we live in and people would see a different kind of faith, a different kind of belief in ACF Church. And as we worship the next few moments, God, I pray we'd give something to you. And as we sing, it wouldn't be about just getting something, God, but we would be giving our hearts to you. As we lift our hands in worship, as we kneel, God, as we sing with our voices, that we would sing, God, because we have first received your grace. I pray you just pour it, pour it on us, God. Just lavish your grace upon us today that we might receive from you so that we might be able to give back to you. Fill us up. We love you, God. We pray it in your name. Amen.